Hello, this is Yaro Starak, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Hal Elrod. Hi there, and welcome to another Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today, my guest is Hal Elrod, and you're going to hear a story that really has some ups and downs in terms of some big life tragedies like a car accident that almost left Hal unable to walk and with brain damage. You'll also hear how he got his start during the early days before he became well known for the Miracle Morning book. He was actually quite entrepreneurial and had a background as a DJ and also selling knives and became a top commissioned knife seller. He was very good at getting referrals. So you're going to hear about those stories as well, of course, about the release and the the first initial creation of the Miracle Morning book, which has become quite a phenomenon with how traveling around the world, leading events, becoming a very well-known speaker as well. And you'll also hear Hal explain what exactly are the steps to a Miracle Morning. So make sure you stay tuned for that. So before we dive into the interview, I'd just like to remind you, if you've not yet signed up for my email newsletter where I send you my latest podcast interviews like this, make sure you go to interviewsclub.com and just enter your email address there and then you'll be signed up to that email list and you'll get all my latest podcasts as soon as I release them and also a series of my very best podcasts from over the years in my archives. That's it. I'll get going now with the interview. Here is Hal. Hello, this is Yaro Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast interview. My guest today, uh, we connected in person for the first time at a Pat Flynn and Chris Ducker event in San Diego. Uh, I think we were just happened to be sitting next to each other, and yeah, and uh, yeah, we shook hands. And uh, I didn't realize that there was a connection we had prior to this, so I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But obviously, because my guest was the speaker at Pat and Flynn's, uh, Pat Flynn and Chris Ducker's event, he's got a, a great story to share. I'm going to let my guest explain why he's here to do the interview with me, because there's a lot we need to cover. You probably know him for one reason, first of all, though. So my guest, Hal Elrod, thank you for joining me on the interview today. Yaro, it's an honor. I don't know if I told you this when we met, but you're like an internet celebrity to me. When I saw you, I was like, whoa, that's Yaro Stark. No way. And then... Uh, and then, so for me to be on your uh, show now is uh, it's an honor, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. And uh, just for those who don't know, they probably have heard of your book, The Miracle Morning, because that's a bit of a, a breakout success story. So let's first cover that. What is the book, and, and how that? Well, how successful yeah. is it? Yeah. So I, I wrote The Miracle Morning. Uh, it came out in 2012, and it was The Miracle Morning was never a book idea. It was never a business idea, never a brand. It was really uh, in 2008 when the economy crashed, I crashed with it. I mean, I lost my uh, income. I lost my house. I was an entrepreneur. So my clients, I was a coach. They couldn't afford to pay me. So long story short, I create this morning ritual. My life changes so fast. I start calling it my Miracle Morning, and then I start sharing it with my clients, and then they go, they have the same results. And I go, man, maybe I need to share this with more people. Maybe I should write a book about it. And the book came out in 2012. Um, It's now become one of the highest rated books on Amazon with over 1,500 five-star reviews. Uh, It's one of the best-selling self-published books um, of all time with over 200,000 copies sold. And pretty exciting. um, We just signed with 21 foreign publishers. So it's being translated and published in 21 languages. And it's currently um, been published in the UK, 
France, and and it's the number one best selling book in all of Korea. At least it was a few weeks ago. So <laughs> awesome. uh, it's kind of kind of surreal. Can you tell us about the business around the book now? Like, how do you live your life currently? I know you're a speaker uh, because yeah. of this. What else do you do with this business? Yeah. So when the book came out, I was an author, a speaker, and a coach. I did not make very much money as an author. Um, I didn't make a whole lot of money as a speaker. Uh, I was making maybe like three to five thousand dollars per speaking engagement, speaking at um, uh, colleges mostly. And then uh, as a coach, that was where most of my money came in. But it was only really it was like like six, you know, right around six figures. Um, the book, when I wrote it, I uh, I didn't know it would you know it'd be so successful, but. Uh, it's now, so I went from the year the book came out, I did like $150,000 in revenue. Um, you know, three years later, we did $1.5 million in revenue this last year. Um, and probably over two this year. And over half of that is book sales, wow. you know, royalties from one book. So people off, you know, people go, how, so how, how do you monetize, how do you monetize your book? Right? Like people think you don't make money as an author. And I go, you, you sell a lot of books. That's how you monetize a book. You sell <laughs> That's not the answer you expect nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, so what's the back end? Now, we have a back end. We, we, I have a group coaching program. Uh, I have a few private coaching clients. Uh, my keynote fee went from three grand to 25 grand. So I speak a couple times a month. Uh, and then we do live events, you know, so we put on live events with, you know, hundreds of people in the room. Um, so yeah, so that's, you know, that's, uh, but it all starts with the book. The book is what introduces people and brings them into our, you know, funnel. And we have approximately 10 to 11,000 new people subscribe to, um, my email list every single month. And 90% of those come from people that are reading the book that are opting in to get the bonuses, uh, that are offered in the book. So yeah, so that, this is the whole business, you know, really that, that, that is the front of it and it brings people in, it gets them, you know, gives so much value. Then they want to, they want more. They want to go to the event. Okay, that's Events, that's for me. So I do want to dive into your story. I know we've only got you for like another half hour or so, but I just have to clarify. I came into your world way before all the Miracle Morning happened. Is that correct? Yeah. So back in two, I'm trying to think of the year here. 2011, I believe, is when I was looking at creating a group coaching program, and um, the uh, your mem- uh, memberships. Well, remind me what it's called. <laughs> well, there's two things. There's a free report I had called the Membership Site Master Plan, which led to a program called the Membership Site Mastermind. Got it. Okay. So we started with the, with the freebie and then went into the, the program. And it, uh, when I started it, I launched it with five coaching members, five group coaching members at $97 a month. And, um, you know, you obviously, I mean, it's called the blueprint for a reason. Like you, you, you have it really dialed in and, and, how, and simplified and it's very step by step. And we grew it to from five members to 70 members within two months following a lot of the stuff I learned from you, which, you know, took it from $500 a month to $7,000 a month. Yet my ongoing effort wasn't anymore, right? I was just doing two calls a month. And then we grew that to 220 members, you know, uh, at $97 a month, which is a little over $20,000. But again, the, the ongoing effort didn't uh, increase, right? I was able to scale. And that was the first time I really learned that, wow, like it really is about scalability. I was doing one-on-one coaching before that. And, you know, you're paid X amount for X amount of time. And, uh, and to be able to, I mean, you really gave me a, a, a view into the freedom that, that's possible when you create a membership site and, and you focus on scaling your, your income and scaling your impact and, and scaling your time. Now, the one missing link here, people might be thinking, wait a sec, so you had a membership site, you've written this book, but what exactly does Hal teach? So can we just maybe go back in time and connect the dots here? So yeah. I know, because I've read your book and I know you've had this history in, in, in sales, but can we go back even before all of that? 
what did you start off as in terms of an entrepreneur? Did you have anything in your high school days or university days where you were doing your own projects? Uh, I did. Um, so my parents bought a grocery store. Uh, so I saw, you know, them kind of run a business and, uh, where it started, I was working in the grocery store and, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he said, Hey, my, my brother is sick and he was going to DJ, you know, play the music and DJ the, uh, the eighth grade school dance. I was a sophomore in high school at this point and he's sick and he can't do it. And it's tomorrow night. Do you want to DJ this dance with me? I said, yeah, it sounds like, well, that's a blast, you know? And so we put out a tip cup and, you know, junior high students don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So we pulled in $7 that we split between us. And we were like, dude, we just got paid three bucks to play music. That was great, you know? And, uh, and, and then like the light bulb went off and I went, let's make this a real business. And long story short, my dad financed this DJ equipment and me and my partner broke up over a girl that summer. So like it ended, our, our business partnership ended as quickly as it started. Oh, wow. And uh, moment, huh? yeah, exactly. But I actually was, and he actually just kind of decided not to do it at all. I, I, I bought equipment, I ran with it and I started earning, you know, hundred dollars an hour, uh, when I was 15. And so I would work, you know, I'd work one weekend and I'd make, you know, 400 bucks or one, one night, make five, 600 bucks or whatever. Um, and, uh, and then I got a job on the radio. And so that was my first entrepreneurial journey. And that's where I learned two, two lessons that came out of that, that you can make significantly more income that's con than is considered normal, right? The whole hundred dollars an hour and my friends were making 425 minimum wage. Nice. And, and number two, it could be doing something that you actually love doing. Like I loved doing dances and, and weddings and, you know, car show and whatever, people watching people have fun and it wasn't work for me. So those were the two big lessons that I walked away with that shape everything I think I do uh, today. I'm just curious, what was your genre as a DJ? Um, so well, when I was on the radio, I had a hip hop show and I, that's where I got my nickname, Yo Pal Hal, uh, which to this day, like half of my friends still call me Yo Pal Hal. But, uh, the, uh, the, so I played hip hop at the radio station and, and granted we didn't get invited back the next year cause it was like a, a country soft rock radio. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and then, and then, uh, at weddings and school dances, I played what everybody wanted. So I lived in a small town. So some, some, some weddings would want only country music, which I would have to research cause I knew nothing about. And, uh, and then the majority of them were like, you know, top 40, 70s, 80s, 90s, just popular music. Gotcha. So did the DJ career uh, fizzle out or did you, you know, do you have yeah. this famous DJ experience I don't know about? No. So that was the plan. I'm like, you know, I started thinking entrepreneurial. I thought I'm going to, I'm going to scale. I was literally thinking, I didn't know the word scale or what that meant, but my plan was I want a DJ business where I have a bunch of DJs that work, um, you know, within my organization. And then every Friday night, right, there's five crews out there DJing and, and I'm, maybe I'm one of them, maybe I'm not. So that was the vision. And then also I was, I got another radio station job and I was going, I was going to, I wanted to be like the next, you know, uh, Ryan Seacrest or, you know, like, nationally syndicated radio DJ and my best one of my close friends in college my uh, f f freshman year he sold Cutco cutlery and I thought it you know he told me what he did and I never I was like you go to people's houses and you cut stuff and and then they that's the weirdest gig ever aren't you afraid someone's gonna stab you or you know and um he ended up long story short he uh he he got he like I don't know if he tricked me, but he got me to go with him one day to the office, uh, the Cutco office, and uh, and I, I I met the manager, cool guy, down to earth, really authentic, and really explained the opportunity of how I could create my own income. Like it, uh, there was no wage; it was you make as much as you want to make. You either work harder 
and or you get better at what you do. You, you know, you read books, you improve your sales skills and you'll sell more per appointment. Your income keeps going up and up and up and it's whatever you want it to be. And I was like, that's really appealing. So I started there and my first 10 days, I broke the all time, you know, it was a 50 year, 50 year company. I broke the all time company record where I sold more in my first 10 days than just about anybody in the history of the company. And, um, that was a whole new, a whole new career. Wow. What was your secret sauce? So two things, and we all have access to both of these, which is uh, work ethic and enthusiasm. I And I had been lazy most of my life, but at that point I was excited. And I was like, this is kind of the DJ thing, right? I was like, wait, I'm, I'm not like, this isn't work to me. This is exciting. This is fun. It's like a game. I get on the phone. I set appointments. You know, the more I set, the better I do. I can win prizes. You know, it's a game. So I got excited. I worked my butt off. I worked, I outworked everybody. And I did uh, f- uh, 61 appointments in those 10 days that I broke the initial record. So an average of two hours per appointment. So I was working 12 hours a day, mm. 10 days in a row. Um, and then enthusiasm, which you might get that from me now, right? But like, I, I just was genuinely excited about the product that I was selling. And so that was it. Like, I, I didn't have any skills. I just was excited. I worked really hard. And I think that if we apply those two attributes to anything that we do in life, we're going to create a success beyond you know, what's considered normal. So is it safe to say that eventually selling knives just wasn't enough for you or how long did that go on for? So it was a year and I actually I sold knives for six years, but my decision that it wasn't going to be my lifetime career, which I initially thought that it was I when I saw, you know, what my manager did for me in terms of believing in me and I wouldn't have broken that record without his mentorship and belief and accountability, um, his guidance and that uh, I thought, man, I want to do that. Like I could do that for the rest of my life. If my job was helping college students bring out the best in themselves like my manager did for me, what a, what a fulfilling career. That'd be amazing. I'll do it forever. Right. Mm. And a year and a half into my career, uh, I was giving a speech at a Cutco sales conference. And after the conference, driving home in my uh, my first new car, I just bought a brand new Ford Mustang. This was December 3rd, 1999. I was 20. And a drunk driver got on the freeway uh, going the wrong way against traffic. And I don't remember the headlights coming at me, but at around 11.30 p.m. at night, he came around a corner and he crashed head on into my car at 70 miles an hour, sent my car spinning off of the drunk driver and kind of went perpendicular to the highway and the car behind me crashed into my driver's side door at around 70 miles per hour. And the left side of my body was immediately just devastated. I, I, I broke 11 bones. Uh, I bled to death. I was clinically dead for six minutes, rushed to the hospital in a coma for six days, flatlined twice, uh, had all these emergency surgeries. And when I came out of the coma, the doctor said that I would probably never walk again. And I had permanent brain damage. And so this was this reality that I had to face. And um, I'll, you know, if you have any questions on this, obviously I can, I can go into some of the detail, but that was a pivotal moment where I woke up from the coma and I had to deal with all this. And I kind of, at one point realized maybe I'm, maybe this, you know, everything happens for a reason. Like how could I use this experience to, to improve my life and serve humanity? And maybe, you know, I think it's more than selling knives. I always want to be a speaker. Maybe that's what I'll do. And that's where those seeds were kind of planted. So how long was the recovery process since we're talking to you and you sound fairly coherent? I'm assuming the brain works pretty well. 
Yeah, my so. wife would disagree. She'll tell you the brain damage is a real thing. Uh, but uh, anybody who spends enough time with me, they're like, like I'll, I'll tell them a story, and then you know, five minutes later, an hour later, I'll, I'll tell them the same story or ask them the same question. They go, do you really not remember that you just told me that? And I'll go, no, the brain damage, remember? So... Um, no, so they uh, so they said I would never walk again, and and then you know their their like hopeful assessment was like maybe in six to twelve months after your body is healed, we'll be able to you know reevaluate. And three weeks after the crash, t- only two weeks after I was awake from the coma, you know um, the uh, well, I, sh- I should I, I have to, I'll share this story real quick. About a week after I came out of the coma, the doctors called my parents in and they sat them down and they said, "We're very concerned with Hal. We want to give you an, an update on his his progress. Um, physically, he's healing and you know he's stable. Like that at the, at the early stages, right? It was like keep Hal alive, right? That like that was what they were focused on. So like, okay, we, he's alive. We've made it through the critical condition, and you know, so he's he's he should live a long life. We're good. Um, and, you know, they, we don't know if he'll walk again. Uh, only time will tell. But we're concerned with his mental and emotional state. They said, we believe that Hal is in denial because he's always happy and smiling and laughing and joking and making us laugh. And they said, you know, frankly, that's not normal for a 20-year-old young man who's being told he will maybe never walk again. His body is, you know, scarred beyond belief. Uh, and he's just happy-go-lucky about it. We, we believe that he is delusional. He's checked out of reality. Mm-hmm. And they, um, my parents came in and, you know, they were concerned. And my dad expressed the doctor's concern and said, Hal, how are you really feeling? It's okay if you're angry about this, if you're scared, if you're sad. You don't have to put on a happy face. Like it's, it's important that we deal with how you're really feeling and talk about it. And, you know, how are you really feeling? And I said, Dad, I thought you knew me better than that. Like I can't change that I was in a car accident, but I get to choose whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm depressed or I'm grateful. And I'm choosing to be grateful. And I said, here's the thing, Dad. If I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I promise you, I will be the happiest person in a wheelchair that you've ever seen. Because if I'm in a wheelchair anyway, and this is true for anybody listening, Yarrow, like what's your wheelchair? What's the circumstance in your past or your present, right, that you that creates emotional pain for you when you could actually, I realize that I can be the happiest, most grateful I've ever been, even going through the most difficult, painful circumstances in my life. And a week after that, the doctors came in. And they said, we don't know how to explain this, but the x-rays that we took yesterday, just the, the routine x-rays, your body is healing so uh, you know, well, so quickly. We don't know how to explain it, but we're actually, your, your bones are at a place where we're going to let you take your first step tomorrow in therapy. So I went from never walking into three weeks after the crash. I took my first step. You know, two months later, I left the hospital. Um, a week later, I was against doctor's orders. My mom and dad were driving me to cut appointments because I wanted to break another record, and I did. And um, you know, and then and then that was like. You know, that was kind of, I went back to Cutco for, for five more years. I was there for six years to hit the Hall of Fame. Then that's when I moved into like the career of uh, writing and, and speaking and coaching and all of that. Okay, so that must put you at like 26-ish when you left Cutco and, and started to move towards being a speaker and a, and a teacher and a coach. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right around yeah, 25, 26. Uh-huh. Okay. So how did you make that transition since you know the difference between selling knives to getting on stage? And no doubt, I mean, your story is incredible at that point already. Uh, so you've got stories to tell, but how did you become a, 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 a basically a, a personality in the personal development area? 
Yeah, so at that point, I was relatively young, you know, 20, 25, 26, but, but mostly I looked like I have spiky hair. And even today, I get like I got carded yesterday, and this guy wouldn't sell me a beer at the bowling alley. I'm like, dude, I'm 37 years old. <laughs> and, uh, but so yeah, so I still look young. So back then, you can imagine I looked like a kid. And um, so I, I was when I, I knew I wanted to be a speaker, but I was debating, well, I, you know, I could talk to corporate or sales audiences. I'm a hall of famer. I've broken records. I've got a lot of great content around sales. I thought, but God, it's going to be an uphill battle trying to get them to respect me and, you know, listen to me and book me. And, uh, and so I decided that, all right, I'm going to start as a high school and college speaker because a, I'm passionate about helping that audience. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, that's going with the grain as opposed to against it, but I didn't know how to make money in that field. And so, what I did is I decided that I would start with coaching and I decided to coach Cutco sales reps. I thought, what am I most qualified to do? Coach Cutco sales reps. So that was my transition. I got a handful of coaching clients. So I, I finished my best year ever in Cutco was my last year, saved, you know, uh, $20,000 that year to, to, you know, so pay my bills for four months. Uh, and, uh, and then transition, I had, I had a handful, like five to six coaching clients. So that was my transition. And then I wrote my first book, the last year I sold Cutco called Taking Life Head On, which my publisher stole all my money. It's, it's not worth going into that, but I didn't make any money on that book. I actually lost quite a bit of money. Um, and, uh, and so then, uh, I was making money as a coach and I started speaking. I grew my coaching quite a bit to where I was making about $80,000 a year. I had bought a brand new house. Then when the economy crashed in 2008, I lost over half of my coaching clients. I lost my house back to the bank. I stopped exercising. And for the first time in my life, I got really depressed mm. because nothing I did worked. Um, I, you know, I was trying everything to turn my life around and nothing worked. And that is where you know, a conversation with a friend, he said, Hal, figure out what the world's most successful people do every day that you're not doing and start doing that. And you'll start to become the person that you need to be to turn your situation around. And I kept coming. So I went on to Google, right? I mean, and I just started coming. Like, what do what are the rituals of successful people? What do they do for personal development? And I kept coming across early rising morning rituals, right? And this was, you know, it wasn't even that popular back in 2008 like it is now. Um, and uh, I, I, but I wasn't a morning person, so I'm going. What else do they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some of them wake up early, but like, what else do they do, right? Mm. And I just kept coming across it. And, and one of my mentors used to always say, if you want your life to be different, you have to be willing to do something different first. And right as I'm reading another article about morning rituals and I'm going, now nah, I'm, I'm resisting it, that voice, that, that phrase rang in my head. I thought, wait a minute. If I want my life to be different, which I desperately did, I thought I have to do something different first. So then I dove into the morning. I started reading the articles and figuring out what do they do for morning rituals. And I decided I'm going to create the ultimate morning ritual, like the best of the best of the best. I woke up the next morning. I did this like you know process of assembling the best of everything else that I had read. And the very first day, I, I had this – like the way that I felt – even though my bank account was negative, my house was in foreclosure, I felt incredible. I thought if I start every day like this, it's only a matter of time before I turn it around. And it turned around so quickly, I started calling it my miracle morning, you know, and the rest is history, as they say. But of course, uh, you know, we can, we can dive into the parts <laughs> that you think are, uh, are valuable. Well, I can't not ask you what was in that miracle morning ritual. Obviously, I totally recommend getting Hal's book if you want the breakdown of this. But in summary, Hal, what, what goes into a miracle morning ritual? 
Sure. Yeah. And I, I don't believe in teasing people. I want to give everybody, you know, the whole thing. Um, so yeah, what's interesting now that you say that is it actually is the same today, which is what, six or seven, six years later, eight years later, um, as it was then. Like it hasn't changed. So as I was Googling, like first I had, okay, morning ritual. I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up an hour earlier. And then I went, yeah, that was the question. Well, like, what am I going to do, you know, for that hour? And so I started Googling best personal development practices, best morning rituals. And I was look. I was really looking for like. I was actually looking for like one thing at first. It was like, what's the one thing that'll make the biggest difference? And so I start writing down different practices that I'm coming across, and I'm kind of discounting them in my head because I've heard of all of them. Like you know, how we're conditioned to look for the new thing, right? Mm-hmm. What's the new cutting edge, you know, thing that no one's heard of? And the first thing I come across is meditation, and I'm going, ah, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to meditate. I, like I can't I've tried. I can't meditate. And then I read this quote from Ray Dalio, who is a billionaire, right? Runs the largest hedge fund in the world, or at least he did back then. And he said, meditation, I'll paraphrase, but he said, meditation is the number one key to my financial success. And I went, whoa, 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 financial success? I, I thought it was like this was a spiritual, you know, stress-relieving practice. But meditation, financial? And I go, why? I'm in a financial bind right now. Like, I'm, a, I'm at a rock bottom financially. Okay, I got to meditate. And then I'm going through, and I find this interview on YouTube where um, uh, Ellen DeGeneres asked Will Smith, you know, Will, what is, you know, you're one of the highest paid, most loved actors in Hollywood. What's your secret to success? And he basically said self-affirmations. He said, I've, 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 I started using affirmations when I was young and I, I would in writing, I would write affirmations that reflected who I needed to be to achieve everything I wanted in my life and be an actor and, and you know, all of these things. And so I'm going, okay, I've got to use affirmations. Then I come across visualization, you know, morning exercise, reading and journaling. So these six practices, um, and, and, and for anyone, let me give you a visual if you're listening that these with the help of a thesaurus. <laughs> they're, they're now known as the SAVERS. So it's an acronym, S-A-V-E-R-S. It's silence, which is meditation or prayer, whatever, you know, or both, whatever works for you. So the S is for silence, A for affirmations, V for visualization, E for exercise, R for reading, and the final S is for scribing because the J for journaling wouldn't fit in there, <laughs> um, right? So, so these are the SAVERS. This is the model. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Any one of these practices, Yaro, right? If you, you know, and anyone listening probably goes, yeah, I've, I've, well, A, I've heard of all of them. B, I probably do at least some of them, right? Mm-hmm. But Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he reached out to me. This was about a year ago. I still get chills when I, when I tell this story. And he said, Hal, I've read The Miracle Morning three times. It's changed my life. And I would like to interview you on Rich Dad Radio. And, you know, my jaw hit the floor because I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad. And so I do the interview and he said how before the Miracle Morning, every successful person on the planet did at least one of the savers. And they, you know, they probably swore by it and attributed a lot of their success to one, maybe even two of the savers. He said, but until I read the Miracle Morning, I had never heard of anyone on the planet that did all six of those practices. And because they're the best personal development practices known to man, they're timeless. Any, if any one of them is a game changer, right? You do all six every morning and that becomes the ultimate morning ritual. So those are the six practices. To this day, I still do them. Um, I do them in different orders depending on the day. Some mornings, if I wake up feeling a little like, you just on the, you know, no energy, I'll start with exercise to get my heart rate up. Most days I do start with silence and I kind of go in the order uh, of the affirmation, but, uh, or the acronym, but, uh, but yeah, those are the practices. So how did, 
initially the release of this book take off? Like, did you just write that? Like, you collected all this data, you started practicing it, then you just flat out wrote the book and went looking for a publisher again? Obviously, a new publisher after the last experience. <laughs> so, it took me three years to write the book. Um, the I mean, it really took me six months once I fully committed, but three years from like making it a goal and then working on it and then putting it away and then get, having self doubt, you know, go, no one's going to read a book on morning rituals. Who am I to write that book? You know? Um, and then when the book launched, I didn't have much of a platform. So I leveraged every, you know, I did a bunch of pre-sales. Like I did, I just, I leveraged total guerrilla marketing in the beginning. Um, and I sold 2000 copies the first month, you know, hit number one on Amazon and, you know, our category, whatever. Um, just and to clarify, uh, cause I know a lot of people might be wondering what specific tactics was, if you can give us one or two of that guerrilla marketing, you're talking like podcast interviews. Sure. So I, um, the, uh, so I, I, I formed a launch team. So actually I'll tell people Google, um, Michael Hyatt, how to launch a best-selling book. Uh, that's just a great blog post that I read and I followed every tactic on that blog post. Um, one of them though was forming a launch team. So I, I, I put out in my just social media that, Hey, we have a launch team, uh, or we're going to put together a launch team. You'll get an advanced copy of the book. In fact, if you Google miracle morning launch team, I think you'll probably find, I think that webpage is still up, but, um, but I, I just modeled Michael Hyatt's kind of launch team, but we had 70 people that were posting in advance that the book was coming out. And one of the big tactics that I did is as soon as you know, you want to write a book, um, create some sort of content around what your book is going to be, even if it's going to end up the book's different, you know, when it comes out. But so I create, I recorded a one hour interview with, I had somebody interview me for an hour and I put that audio up on an opt-in page. So just real simple name, email, learn the miracle morning, you know, four bullet points. And they opted in to download the audio. Well, I had 10,000 people opt in over the course of the basically those three years um, while I was writing the book. So there were people that, you know, knew that were already like practicing the Miracle Morning. They were posting videos on YouTube and it wasn't even a book yet. So the concept was already being embraced and implemented before the book came out. So whether your book comes out in four months or six months, right, yeah. put content up. And whether it's a PDF, it's an audio, it's a video, uh, whichever. Well, a three-year pre-launch phase, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but only active for like the last three months. You know, I mean, <laughs> like I put that web page up, but I did nothing to promote it. There were no Google AdWords. Those 10,000 opt-ins were strictly word of mouth. Like I, you know, I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a following. I didn't have a platform. I didn't have an email list. I didn't have anything. So... So we launched the book. We sold 2,000. Sorry, just before. I, I got to know too. You were, how were you making your living at this point over those three years since you were terribly financially? Did things take off back in your, your coaching practice or what were you doing? So yeah, so that's, so I, yeah, I, I, so that's a great, so this is really, really important. I'm glad you asked that. So when the miracle morning, when it, when it, when it was a concept, when I woke up, I did my first morning ritual, right? Didn't have a name. Um, it was within two months of doing the miracle morning, my income more than doubled. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically to committing to run a 52-mile ultra marathon, which I, I, I ran you know, five months later after I trained for it. I'd never run before. Um, but because my life within those first two months, mostly the income piece, because that's where I was struggling so bad, the fact that I doubled my income, and I'll, and I'll share how I did that, but um, that's why I started calling it my miracle morning because like my life, I went from being depressed in horrible shape physically and, and broke to 
you know, turning those three areas around. And because it happened so quickly, it felt like a miracle. That's where the name, the name was not, again, not a book. It was like in my schedule, I'd write miracle morning every day at 5 a.m., you know? Um, so, and it was from doing those six practices, the savers in the morning, that I simply, I gained clarity and I was reading books on, you know, grow, getting clients, growing your business, et cetera. So I was implementing those strategies. So I simply asked for referrals. It's so funny, but, um, when I was in Cutco, that was my specialty. Like that's, that's the area I excelled at. And I was, I was, I would teach and train, you know, the company would have me go around and and speak at conferences to teach how to get referrals. The average rep in the company would average three to five referrals per appointment. And I'd average 15 to 20, which gave me way more people to call, which allowed me to sell more Cutco, right? So it hit me as I was going through and doing some, you know, meditation one day or affirmations. I don't remember which practice or reading a book. I went, wait a minute, why am I not asking for referrals from my current coaching clients? So that's how I doubled my coaching clients in two months. And I doubled my, in- more than- my income was like five grand a month when the Miracle Morning started, which my mortgage was like 3,500. So that, you know, it didn't pay the bills. Um, and, uh, and it, it went from $5,000 a month to $12,000 a month within, uh, you know, within, within those two, mm-hmm. two months. So that's how. And then when I was, and then so 2011 is when I launched my group coaching program after I, you know, learned the whole, all of the, the membership site concept from you. It's bestyearevercoaching.net. I still have that program to this day. Um, and, uh, and I grew that from, as I said, from five to 220 something members. And what I did is then I, I stopped like I, I took all my energy off of that because I had a $20,000 a month residual income and then I put all my energy into writing The Miracle Morning, like nose down for four months mm-hmm. and wrote the book, launched the book, right? And then that, that membership site that I launched was, was paying all the bills during that time. Um, and, uh, and so then, that, and then I launched the book. And then, so then from there, I kept the membership site going. I kept doing a little coaching. Um, my speaking started picking up. I went from, you know, three grand to five grand to 7,500 to 10 grand. I kept raising my fee along the way. Um, and then, uh, but here's the miracle morning itself. The sales dropped because I didn't have a sustainable platform, right? I didn't have a name. I didn't have anything. So like, yeah, I leveraged every favor I had to launch it that month, you know, 2000 copies the first month. Second month was 700 copies. Third month was like 350. And it trailed along at the 300 to 400 copy a month mark for like a year, over a year. And I, then I started doing podcast interviews and I've done now over 250 podcast interviews. I launched a podcast. I've done over 120 something episodes of my own podcast, which that built the following, right? So um, the, the point is sustained effort. Like I believed in the Miracle Morning message. I started getting emails from people saying that everything from something like it helped them achieve a dream of writing a book or starting a business or it helped them improve their income to radically profound. Like it saved me from committing suicide. It saved my marriage. It got me off my depression medication. A gentleman named Mike Eaton emailed me and said, I lost 70 pounds in the first five months after being, after starting the miracle morning, after being obese my entire life, right? Like, so these profound, um, you know, stories. And I, I, I just, I, I went, this is my life's work. Like I am committed to share the miracle morning with millions, if not billions of people. And I don't care how long it takes. And I don't care if I make money off of it. And I mean, not that I don't care, but you know, but, but like, I'm like, if I don't get rich or whatever, that's okay. Like I I have a responsibility to share this with the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kept promoting it. And then if you look at, I've got a graph of the trajectory of the book sales. 
So it, 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 it was 2,000 copies the first month. It took me a year and a half of promoting to get back to 2,000 copies in a month. And then, and then it hit a tipping point. And now we're, you know, we're at, we average over 10,000 copies a month every single month. And it's a self-published book. So I'll let you guys do the simple math. But I mean, about $7 a book on average, uh, depending on whether it's Kindle, kind of across the platforms of Kindle, audiobook, and paperback or hardcover, about $7 a book is, is kind of the average uh, you know, per book. Mm-hmm. So there's <laughs> a lot of... Uh, one of the things I find amazing about the story is the fact that you have so many ongoing sales of just one essentially low price book like most people on an interview like this we'd start talking about the book as a front end then we'd look at your membership site and how you've been feeding tons of people into the membership site but it feels like in your case everything else has kind of taken a back seat to sharing the message of the miracle morning and and you want to do like more obviously you want to sell a lot of books too but that's one of the ways to share the message as is speaking how do you like, because I want to sort of make this relevant for a person listening. In sure. Who doesn't, hasn't written their Miracle Morning book yet and might feel like, okay, I need to worry about making a living first. And obviously, I want to share some of my ideas online. I, I want to kind of follow in your footsteps how um, I'm not sure if I'm going to have a, as big a breakout book as you do. At least I don't want to count on that being my path because I don't have to worry about selling 2,000 copies of a $7 profit book. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Life. What do you sort of say to that person in terms of a, a starting point? Because I'd love to sort of pass on in the last five minutes here. Um, you know, if they have some ideas, they are, they're motivated, they're enthusiastic about what they want to share with the world. How do you recommend they start? Writing a book like you did? Yeah, and by the way, and let's we can go over five minutes. So let's go ten more minutes. Okay. So we'll, we'll go a little extra. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, it, obviously, everybody's a little bit different in terms of you know whatever your business model is. Um, I do think that there is value in um, whatever the easiest, fastest way is for you to generate revenue or generate income. Uh, that's I think that's a good starting place. You know. Uh, so for me, it was coaching. Like I didn't just put all my energy into a book. I put my energy into, you know, first building a one-on-one coaching practice because that was very easy for me to, like, I knew, I knew how I was, I, you know, knew how to coach and get results for people so I could help them. And then I knew how to ask for referrals for my clients. And then every time I got a new client, I would say, Hey, who else do you know that after I gave him a few, you know, valuable calls, who else do you know that, that could benefit from the coaching? And that just grew the coaching. So I was able to create a base income to pay the bills. Then I launched the group coaching program, right? So that's what I encourage someone to do is really focus on, you know, focus on the money. And the, you know, people always say, well, I want to follow my passion. I want it. Well, great. You know, but pay your bills first, right? Like create something that will generate income to pay your bills. That's why I always tell people when they go, you know, I'm going to like just quit. I'm going to, I'm going to, what's that, you know, that old, that story of burning the bridges, right? You know, or burning the boats. I mean, you know, I'm going to burn my boats. And so I have to succeed at the new venture. I go, no, 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 no. Don't build your new boat, (laughs) build your new boat. And then once it's built, then burn this boat, jump on the new boat. And even if it's not perfect, get, get, get a boat that floats, then you can make it, make it a yacht, right? Like, (laughs) but, but so that's my advice to start there. And then in come, let, let me share um, I am working on a new book, and this isn't to promote it because it won't be out for like a year, um, but it's called Beyond the Bestseller, How to Write a Book That Creates a Movement, Earns You a Fortune, and Changes the World. And where this comes from is I don't, I don't, if I succeed at anything, I feel a responsibility to teach other people how to do it, right? Like it's, if I'm doing it by myself, I'm an island, it doesn't, like I, how can I, how can I um, scale the impact 
that my success is making. So for the book, I've gone, I've looked at what has made the Miracle Morning so successful? What's made it this word of mouth phenomenon, right? Because I, it sells more copies every month now and I don't do those podcast interviews. Like I did it to get that tipping point, right? But the point is, how do you write a book that, that becomes this word of mouth phenomenon and creates a movement and earns you a great income? And whether or not, you know, Yaro, to your point, not everyone's book is going to have the same success as the Miracle Morning, right? You know, I mean, some some could have more some but but there are certain like things that it all just kind of came together so i can't promise that if you do what i'm about to teach you you're guaranteed the same level of you know royalties or success or whatever but it will significantly improve whatever you do and 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 what i'm going to teach you this is for books but it actually is really for anything that you put out into the world any content especially um here's the biggest the number one key to writing a book that creates a movement and goes viral uh, is that it changes people's behavior. If you think about it, most books only shift our thinking temporarily, right? You, we've all been there, you know, Yaro, you've been there where you're, we're reading a book and while you're reading it, you're like, it's all these profound ideas. You're, it's making you think differently. You're like, oh my gosh, wow, this is amazing. And every, you know, it's, it's the best book you've ever read, right? And you're telling everyone, you should read this book, you should read this book, you should read this book because it's shifting your thinking in a way that's inspiring or empowering you. However, then you finish reading that book and the shifts in thinking are forgotten as soon as you read the next book. And now that's the best book you've ever read. Yes. But if that first book would have changed your behavior in a meaningful way that added value to your life, such as a daily ritual or even a weekly ritual. Um, I'm coaching one of my clients on this and he's writing a book called Resucceed. And I told him to do a weekly reevaluate where he has his, his readers every week assess how their week went, how the progress was, track measurable goals, just something, nothing rocket science. But if they're doing this ritual and he gave it a unique name, now they're going to be sharing with people, wow, I'm, every week I've been doing this thing that I learned in this book. And that might be happening years later. Like people today are doing their miracle morning that read the book three years ago. They still do it every single day. So it still comes up in conversation. Mm. Um, so that's the biggest key is your content, whether it's a blog, a podcast, or a book, don't just focus on teaching something. Make sure that you're implementing and integrating behavior change for your reader, your end user, your audience, so that your content doesn't just change their thinking temporarily. It shifts what they do every day or every week so that it improves their life long after they're done reading your book. Permanent change. Yes. Fantastic, Hal. That's awesome. So uh, now that we have five minutes extra, yeah. <laughs> I'll ask you one more question. Uh, what, what do you What do you like uh, doing right now? Is it, I know your speaking schedule is incredible. I was looking at your website, and it's you're all over the planet right now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And that's not all of that. And I'm I'm, I'm really working on cutting back on that, right? So so I've, I I think I've you know traveled on average last year probably three to four times a month. Um, and, and, and probably, probably three fourths that was speaking. And then one fourth was media. Like I just went to Paris to promote the French version of the miracle morning, which was wild. You know, they might, took me and my wife out there. Um, but, uh, but so yeah, I'm trying to cut back on speaking to be home with my family a lot more. I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old and, and I hate, you know, they, they're getting old enough where they finally went, daddy, I don't like you traveling. And that just broke my heart. And I'm like, all right, done. You know, let's, we're, we're cutting back or I'm bringing you with me or something. But mm -hmm. 
Um, so now we launched the Miracle Morning book series. So the Miracle Morning for Writers actually published on Monday. Um, it's number one in all three of its categories. It's number 200 on out of every book on Amazon. It's actually selling better than the original Miracle Morning book right now. Um, so we have Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs is coming out with Cameron Harold. Uh, he's co-authoring that with me. Um, Miracle Morning for Parents and Families comes out in a couple of months. We're doing Miracle Morning for... It, it, essentially, it's the next chicken soup, soup for the, the soul. soul. Yeah, very and, and in my opinion, and I, I say this humbly, like, but I actually, one of my co-authors is the one that shared this with me. They said, actually, I think it's a new and improved version. And they said only because it does change behavior. Most chicken soup for the soul books, while you read it, it inspired you or it entertained you. But it, most of them, they said, he said, didn't necessarily change your behavior and therefore change your life. Nice. So he said, in this way, we're going to have millions of people in all different genres and niches and ways of life, you know, that are, that are actually doing the Miracle Morning. Plus they're implementing this other content. Like just to be clear, the book series, um, it's not just a rehash of the original book. Like the first three chapters, some of the original book and the next 70% of the book is completely brand new content from a co-author that I bring in who's much better than me or knowledgeable at whatever we're bringing them in to talk about. Right. So the book series is a focus. We're making a documentary right now, The Miracle Morning Movie. Uh, we just interviewed John, Dr. John Gray uh, of Women Are From Mars, Men Are From Venus. Um, we interviewed Marcy Shimoff, Happy For No Reason, Brian Johnson, Philosopher Notes. Uh, we're interviewing Ariana Huffington, Jack Canfield. And on the list, we're hoping to interview like, you know, Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, and but those are not lined up yet. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so we're doing the documentary. And the point of that is to reach the millions of people that will never read a self-help book and get the Miracle Morning into their, into their, you know, into their, into their lives, into their world. So a person who wants to actually do that right now, where, where should they go? So MiracleMorning.com is the best place to do that. Um, if you do want to come to our live event, that's the other thing we do is we do a live event every year called Best Year Ever Blueprint. Um, and it's amazing. It's very different from other events in that most events – you know, you're listening to speakers for three days and you're taking notes and you go home with 10 pages of notes and you're overwhelmed. Our event, uh, there's no one on stage for 80% of the time and the audience is interacting and engaging and actually implementing the things that, you know, that, that they're learning versus just taking a bunch of notes. So it's this really experiential uh, type of event. So it's bestyearverblueprint.com. Um, that's in December this year. Um, but uh, miraclemorning.com is the best place to, you can get the first few chapters of the book for free. You can get a video training for free. You can get a, um, a, an audio training for free. And that's kind of a good hub to, you know, to, to start. And you can find my podcast uh, is, is on there and all that good stuff. Fantastic. I, I love your movement and I, I love the direction you're going. It sounds like it's just going to explode further and further. And of course, you're so passionate about it. So you're the perfect <laughs> guy to run this whole machine. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing the story. I, I know there's a longer version of everything you've talked about in your book as well, in terms of your own you know, story with your recovery from your accident and, and going forward from that. So that would be another reason to grab the book if you want to hear that part of the story. Um, other than that, yeah, just keep inspiring, Hal. Thanks for doing what you do. Cool, Yaro. Hey, thank you for having me. It, it means a lot. And everyone that tuned in and listened, um, I hope you got value. And I, I hope to see you in the Miracle Morning Community uh, Facebook group, which is you know, a great hub for, uh, for inspiration and, and like-minded people. So take care, Yaro. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Hal. And for everyone listening in, if you want the transcript or the show notes or anything to go with this interview or any other ones, just head to entrepreneurs-journey.com and click the podcast tab. My name is Yaro, and I'll talk to you on the next interview. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Hal Elrod and you're feeling inspired and motivated to possibly start your own Miracle Morning. 
or maybe even take part in uh, some of the steps of the Miracle Morning that Hal talked about. And do get yourself a copy of his book if you're really interested in uh, hearing his full background story and everything behind the Miracle Morning as well. If you haven't done so already, please now go to interviewsclub.com. That's interviews with an S, interviewsclub.com. And that'll take you to a blog post on my blog where you can then sign up to my email list where I'll send you an email every time I have one of these interviews, a new one that hasn't uh, been published yet, just as it comes out. And also, you'll get a regular weekly series of my very best podcasts from the archives with amazing people doing incredible things online, a lot of great entrepreneurial online business stories there, especially people who are making money by teaching others using their knowledge to create uh, fantastic digital information publishing businesses. So that's interviewsclub.com. Also, if you haven't got the show notes or the transcripts, or if you want to see all my previous interviews, you can always go to my blog. The easiest way to find that is to Google Yarrow, Y-A-R-O. It'll be one of the first results, and then you can just go to the podcast section of the blog. Okay, that's it for me. I will speak to you on the very next Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.